0: This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Elizabeth Collett. Elizabeth Collett is the Director of Migration Policy Institute Europe, Um, and I'd like to ask you my first question, Elizabeth. What is the MPI? What is the Migration Policy Institute?
1: So the Migration Policy Institute is probably the largest globally focused think tank dedicated to the study of migration. Um, We've been, MPI itself, which is headquartered in Washington DC, has been around for around 12 years. And four years ago, we founded a sister organization, MPI Europe, here in Brussels, on the basis that there was a need for some really sound evidence-based policy analysis, really trying to bring what we understand about the dynamics and, uh, of migration, the outcomes for immigrants and how policies affect those outcomes, um, and really try and marry that more closely, not just to EU policy development, but to what governments are doing at national level across the European Union. Um, So we engage in research and policy analysis. I think the only other thing I would say is that we are an American-style think tank in the sense that we really do engage closely with all sorts of of policymakers. So within the EU institutions, but also at national levels, we try and engage in in a conversation on a constant basis. So it's not about sitting in an ivory tower, it's about really getting to the nuts and bolts of policies that work and policies that don't work and what happens next.
0: Okay, well let's get down to the nitty gritty. I mean, for my sake, can you tell me, is there an important or not distinction to be made between migration on the one hand and refugees on the other?
1: So it's all part and parcel of global mobility. So refugees and, and migrants, it, it, the defining characteristic for them is that they've crossed an international border. Um, a refugee that hasn't crossed an international border, incidentally, is an IDP, an internally displaced person. So okay. there is a broad uh, category of people who have crossed an international border, and that's usually termed migrants. Refugees are a special category of person um, I- I who are who is not in their country of origin. They're a special category of person that is subject to international laws um, that are designed to offer them protection. Um, The Geneva Convention uh, is is the main framework for that, and obviously the EU has its own sets of laws and rules to to, to manage asylum-seeking within the European Union. So refugees are a particular subset of a migrant category that is about um, the vulnerable people who are in need of protection for one reason or another. Um, It's been actually quite interesting watching the terminology debate evolve over the last couple of months and I think it really started with the Al Jazeera blog post where they said we're going to talk about uh, all of these people who are on the move right now towards the European Union as refugees not migrants and refugees. It slightly distracts in several ways from, from the real discussion. The first is that this is not a new flow of people towards the European Union. There have been mixed flows, what UNHCR terms mixed flows of people, which is a combination of people in need of protection and people who may be driven by other imperatives to come
0: to the but, European but Union. But are the numbers changing? Are the numbers increased That
1: This is the difference, right. is that the global refugee crisis and the fact that there are more than one now um, serious... Uh, Situations of instability and conflict in the European neighbourhood means that this mixed flow has now become acutely uh, put under pressure by a larger proportion of refugees who are, who are fleeing Syria, Iraq, even going, coming field as far afield as Afghanistan. So the dynamics of the flow has changed, but it's still a combination overall of, 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 of people coming for, for various reasons, uh, seeking a better life, wanting to join family members, as well as fleeing conflict. Um, one of the things that I think some people, and I work for a, an organisation called the Migration Policy Institute, one of the things that I think we worry about is that um, by saying that only refugees have legitimacy, you're saying that migration doesn't have legitimacy. Do not legitimacy. have legitimacy, so you, yeah. So I think there's a, there's a certain amount of enthusiasm about being... Being um, focusing in on the humanitarian aspect, that we have to look at the whole shape of this movement and, and, and the legitimacy and otherwise of it. So whenever I talk about this, I talk about refugees and migrants. Right. Um, and I talk about asylum seekers in terms of those who are claiming asylum within the European Union. Some of them will already have refugee status in Syria or elsewhere. Others may not have that, that, that pre, pre-existing status. So we're talking about... Complex overlapping terminology, which is confusing even to those people who are experts in the field.
0: Right, we we see a lot in the the media about uh, countries inside the European Union, the member states, either reintroducing border controls and/or erecting Mm. physical walls between the the, the countries. Are we seeing the end of the free movement of people inside the European Union? Either Schengen Agreement, uh, and uh, and in any event, even if it's not happening quite yet, is this the way to address the migration, stroke, refugee uh, issue?
1: So, it's, uh, it's the question I get asked most often at the moment, which is, <laughs> is Schengen over? Right. Um, and I think we have to sort of step back a little bit and understand that, on the one hand, um, Schengen was always going to be subject to a lot of tension, because until you, unless you have fully harmonised policies for immigration and asylum within the European Union, you will always have some tensions between some countries being more attractive and some countries being less attractive to those arriving within the EU. We have incomplete systems for asylum and we have incomplete systems for immigration. So for a long time, observers of the Schengen system have said, this is a manageable situation, but should there be an increase in flows, we could find ourselves in in, in difficulty, and I think we're seeing that now. So yeah. in some ways, not, a lot of what's happening now is not really a surprise. What we do see is increasing stress on the Schengen system, increasing numbers of checks at particular pressure points along the border, and uh, in the media this week there was talk of a, 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 you know, a mini-Schengen, a sort of subset of the, the Schengen countries creating their own Um, going back to the original (laughs) uh, members of Schengen. Um, My personal opinion is that Schengen, as we understand it, will change um, in in the short and medium term, partly because of of the nature of of the inflows right now coming through the Western Balkans, but also because I think of increased security concerns and, and, and thinking about border checks in a slightly different way you will see an evolution, I think, in terms of the information systems that are used, both by law enforcement and intelligence, but also those people who who, who register individuals at the external border. But my one, I think, guiding principle for why Schengen will not be over and we will not see a reversion to uh, complete restructuring of internal borders is member states can't afford it. Uh So if you want to create the physical infrastructure... Um, of the internal borders that that you had 30 years ago. Um, You would have to uh, recreate that physical infrastructure you would have to upgrade Uh, huge technological advances have been made in border management over the last 30 years you would have to uh, increase your human resources Uh, you'd have to spend a lot of money and that would be a greater or lesser endeavour depending on on whether you're Luxembourg, which has all internal borders right now, or you're a country that has mostly external borders anyway, and it wouldn't make so much difference. But
0: that is also about the, the, the issue of you know, policing the external borders of the EU as well. Is, is, isn't that part of the solution, or claimed to be part of the solution? If, if the more effort was made in strengthening the external borders, then we mm-hmm. less need to focus on internal borders inside the EU.
1: Yeah, and I think you know the, the, the questions that are being asked about management of external borders, again, are not particularly new questions, right. but they're coming at a higher political level, they're coming under scrutiny. And, you know, one of the things we don't ask ourselves enough is, did anyone really think it would be possible to police the external borders of a geography like Greece, effectively? Right. You know, we're talking about archipelagos, very, very small (laughs) islands in the southeastern corner of Europe and uh, long external land borders. So, you know, there are, there should be questions about w- what kind of responsibilities are you asking particular states to do when other, other states may have more limited responsibilities in that regard. So we are going to have to think again about the nature of those checks um, and particularly the registration and identification of individuals. And I think you've seen that debate emerge uh, certainly this week in the wake of the Paris attacks. Um, but, you know... It would cost a lot of money to to, to end Schengen so I think in terms of of thinking through the future it will be much more about external borders but in the short to medium term you'll see increased numbers of ad hoc checks um, and uh, particular checks along pressure points perhaps not on such a temporary basis as the Schengen rules currently allow for. Um, ultimately, it's not just the direct cost of reintroducing infrastructure, but we've seen the frustration of commuters along the Austrian-German border. So, yeah. you know, the, the impacts that then has on trade and, and, and exchange of goods and services. So there are knock-on effects to these kinds of border checks, especially if they are the more intrusive type. So countries are going to have to balance their various imperatives of, of, of how to manage um, the economics and, and, and internal market aspects of this, with deciding whether they focus in on border infrastructure or they decide to spend more money on, on intelligence, police intelligence and cooperation, and double down on the, the sort of external border management. Um,
0: okay, if I interrupt you then, you mentioned the Paris attacks. Um, to what extent is there a concern now maybe that political leaders, but also more importantly public opinion, will start seeing the, the migration-stroke-refugee crisis through a less sympathetic spectrum?
1: I mean, you've certainly seen um, some political opportunism this week from certain quarters. I think the the Polish government immediately saying, well, because of this, we can't do relocation. You've also seen it across the Atlantic with, with, you know, a a dozen different state governors saying we no longer want to be part of a, a refugee resettlement system from Syria because... Uh, we think they're a security concern. So you do see, and to my, to my mind it's political opportunism, because at the same time President Hollande has been very clear that this is not about a refugee crisis, this is a security issue. The real challenge is, you know, any border, however much you invest in it, will always be um, vulnerable to, to to those sorts of movements. Um, and it's particularly difficult when you're dealing with a situation where large numbers of people are arriving spontaneously, at a border that doesn't have the infrastructure to cope with those large numbers of people so i think there will be concerns about um it particularly in greece but elsewhere along the border how do we register and identify people in a context where you know you can't keep people on a greek island for particular particularly long amounts of time because large numbers are arriving it's a small island and there really aren't the facilities for them so it's going to be a a a very difficult issue but um you know it's the two, for me, are separate. This is this is a border management issue, a law enforcement issue, and a an in- security intelligence issue, and there are things you can do there. It is not necessarily a refugee issue, because right. if someone can be identified and have their claim adjudicated and be found in need of protection, that's a completely separate issue as to whether they may or may not be, a, you know, a, a threat to the European Union. And all states have the right to say, and this is part of also the relocation process, all states have the right to say... I think this person is a security threat and therefore I'm not going to grant them asylum in that context. So public security is still a caveat to offering people protection if you think someone's a uh, a threat to your country.
0: Okay. One last question. Let's bring it back then broader to the broader aspect of migration refugees we started you said at the beginning that your MPI Migration Policy Institute is not a, a, a European style think tank, think tank it's more a US style, you're more engaged in the policy process trying to make input not just producing papers, you're much more of an activist you may not see yourself as a lobbyist but you're much more of an activist um, what kind of actions are you are you undertaking now, obviously the crisis is getting worse and worse, you're not just sitting back clearly and, and just writing papers and, and doing comment op-eds in the, in the media, so what, what are you doing uh, to make input in the process and, and how Receptive our policymakers to your to your overtures. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I mean, I I would love the opportunity to sit down and write. At the moment, that seems to be the last thing I ever have time to do. (laughs) For a think tank, it's rather ironic. Um, What we're trying to do, and the way we're trying to think, is there is a lot of crisis management going on right now. You know, on a daily basis, the officials and politicians most involved with this are really thinking day to day. What's the next step? What are we going to see tomorrow? Um, what we're trying to do at MPI Europe is now pull back um, from the day-to-day crisis management and really think in the medium to long term, how will the asylum architecture that we have in Europe need to change to be able to fit the likely flows we'll see over the next decade. This is not a, a situation that is going to diminish um, in the next few years. We are seeing unprecedented numbers of refugees around the world. Um, we're seeing increased levels of mobility. We're seeing strong demographic changes in many regions of the world. So Europe's going to have to start thinking about how um, the asylum architecture might need to change to address this, particularly think about how... Um, There seems to be a disconnect right now between uh, uh, what happens in regions of origin where there are host countries like Jordan and Lebanon hosting large, large numbers of people. And if you want to have protection in the European Union, you have to take a dangerous journey and physically set foot in the European Union. Are there better ways we can think about arranging the management of of refugees who may be displaced for five, ten years? So at MPI, we're now engaging in that long-term think, which is trying to help policymakers step back and say there is the crisis management but we're going
0: to have to look beyond the crisis we're seeing. Okay Elizabeth Collett thank you very much for your time.